Welcome to Data Brew by Databricks with Denny and Brooke. The series allows us to explore various topics in the data and AI community. Whether we're talking about data engineering or data science, we're going to interview subject matter experts to dive deeper into these topics. In this season, we're going to focus on connected health and how data and AI augment and improve our daily health. And while we're at it, we're going to enjoy our morning brew. My name is Denny Lee. I'm a developer advocate at Databricks and one half of Data Brew. And hello, everyone. My name is Brooke Wenig, machine learning practice lead at Databricks and the other half of Databrew. And today I am thrilled to introduce Guillaume Kalmetz, who is a senior MLOps engineer at Fieldbox.ai and an insanely long distance runner and winner of the last man standing race. Welcome, Guillaume. Oh, thank you. Uh, thank you, Denise. Thank you, Brooke. Very excited to be, uh, to be with you guys and talk about uh, science and running. So to kick it off, Guillaume, what is this last man standing race? Can you share a bit more about what this race entails? Yeah, of course. Uh, so the last man standing race uh, started from the principle that in the actual competition in running worldwide, only like the very fast runner are rewarded. And in fact, a lot of people, maybe, you know, your neighbor, your, your friend, your, your family, they are doing incredible things because they are very, very resistant. It's just that they don't run as fast as, you know, those elite runners. So there is one guy who decided to make a race dedicated for those people. And so the principle is very simple. You do have a loop. It's seven kilometers. So it's 4.6333333333 miles. So a distance you can run in an hour. And in fact, you guys do have one hour to complete the loop. And once you complete this loop, you just wait for the next hour to start. And there is a, basically a new start every hour. And the race finishes and stops when there is only one runner left to, uh, you know, willing to go for another, for the, for another loop. So it's more like a, a resistance kind of uh, event. And uh, nowadays it goes for like days. But we, we could talk about that uh, a bit. So how long exactly did you go for, Guillaume? So myself in uh, 2017, I ran for 59 hours. Uh, so it was, it was pretty good. <laughs> so two and a half days without sleep. Whoa. Okay, okay. I, I got I to gotta ask. Okay, so wait. How, <laughs> where, do, where do you go to the... How do you squeeze in eating and going to the bathroom and all these other things? Like, is it just you finish... You finish the loop faster and then you have that little bit of time to yeah, exactly. squeeze that in? Is you that you do basically have an hour to do the running of the loop plus everything you need. Maybe, I don't know, you have to change your socks. You have to go to the bathroom. You need to like drink a soup or anything. So you basically need to, uh, to do your own strategy. Uh, of course, you don't want to run the, the loop too fast because then maybe you get tired and also uh, you will have to wait for 25 minutes. So you will get cold or something like that. So you need to basically time your loop perfectly to just do whatever you need in that uh, allotted time. And did you sneak in any cat naps or anything there? Uh, so I try to. Uh, the problem is that when I'm running, I'm very, very excited. So it's very hard for me to, to nap. But uh, I mean, some people can do it. And actually now, I mean, last year, uh, the world records got beaten. Now it's uh, 85 hours uh, by Harvey Lewis, the guy who actually finished uh, just after me. So, uh, yeah, so, but for, for those kind of like events, you, you do need to have a very good like sleep strategy. Uh, unfortunately, I, I don't have one, but uh, that, that's fine too. Okay. As the last man standing, like for Zach Arwin, you were willing to run the 59th loop, 59th mile, right? It, it, do you actually have to complete it in order to be the last one? Oh, sorry, uh, sorry, not miles. So the uh, some kilometers. 
Do you have to run the full seven kilometers in order to win? Or like for sake of argument, nobody else was willing to run. You ran like like 20 meters and you're good to go. Like, Or did you actually have to run the full seven kilometers? Oh, you still have to finish the loop. I mean, the, basically, the goal is to do one more loop than everyone else. So you, you, you still have to complete it. So in the end, yeah, it was uh, 246 miles, which was, which, which was a good day. Were you able to run the next day? Or how, how long did you need to take off after running that many miles? Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you are a bit in trouble for the next week after a race like that. Uh, because obviously, you know, I mean, uh, your legs are a bit, uh, a bit beaten. Uh, so it takes yeah, 7 to 10 days to, you know, feel okay to, to run. But also it's like motivation wise, because you have run so much in uh, so little time, uh, you kind of need a mental break too uh, from that. So yeah, seven to 10 days and you can uh, go for a little run uh, around your park. And so switching gears a little bit, I know this will, will come back to running in a second, but you have a PhD in cell biology and also um, biophysics. How exactly did that culminate with, into you becoming a long distance runner? Uh, in fact, it's, it's tightly linked. So I did my PhD in Bordeaux and then uh, obviously like in academia, you need to, uh, you know, prove that you can adapt to another scientific environment. So you go for a postdoc. Uh, I had the chance to, to get a Fulbright scholarship to join uh, UCLA uh, in, the, in, the heart lab, uh, in, the, in the heart lab at UCLA. And so there I didn't know anyone, uh, you know, it was a new country. Uh, and so I didn't have a car for LA, uh, which is a big city, right? Without a car. So you need to, to go to places. So if you don't have a car, you can, you can bike or you can run too. And, uh, so that's basically how I got really into running. I started, you know, to go to, from places to other places. Then I wanted to discover my neighbor, my neighborhood. Uh, there was some mountain nearby. So I just started to go to the trailhead and then go up the mountain and down. So miles piled up and I, then I just signed up for the marathon. That's how I, I got into it. So basically just because I wanted to discover my area, uh, I got into running and uh, running got to me. <laughs> and just for some context, uh, while Guillaume was a postdoc at UCLA, I had TA'd one of the stats classes that Guillaume had taught. Um, and I can vouch that he is a very good runner as well. Um, definitely kicked my butt on a few runs, but while you were at UCLA, you also got into the field of data science. How exactly did that transition happen? Yeah, so my, uh, my, the project I was working, up, working on uh, was basically in the context of like heart attack. Uh, and what are the, like, the different uh, cellular modifications that happen at the bioenergetic level in your, in your cells? And so you do have uh, a lot of data. It could be, for example, uh, images. Uh, because you are using fluorescent probe. And so you want to see, for example, how a protein moves from a, a cell location to another in real time. So you acquire all those data. You also have like a real time data of like metabolite concentration, because of course, as your like cell contracts, uh, the energy is consumed and uh, energy also has to be produced. So you do have a fluctuation and time series data of like the different metabolites. And so all those data needs to be uh, analyzed. And data science uh, comes very, very handy for that. So, and as an example of how data science can help, uh, like researcher, uh, we were like developing a, a very specific virus to modify a specific protein. And so the idea was to basically to deliver a medication to your cells. And of course, to know if the virus was uh, like changed the protein we wanted, one uh, option was to send those cells to, to be sequenced. 
and so to get the genome of it and it could take you know days to weeks to get back the result so we decided to develop a model to classify the cell based on you know like the metabolic traits uh, like or different like uh, features that we we, we had uh, we we were able to measure in real time and so that way we could from this uh, from this model know uh, like practically live which cells were infected correctly infected and had the medication active and the cell where didn't have it so it was also a, a lot of gain of time for us so you know like all those data and it was also fun you know to visualize visualize the data so I guess as long as you you do have data you you have to do data science. So that, that's actually a pretty interesting segue. So basically, since you have the data, you might as well go do data science. <laughs> I guess. I mean, what else? No, no, that's fair. That's fair. But then I guess what I was curious about is that, like, so, like, for example, I'd be lazy, right? I, if, since, uh, when it comes to, like, um, doing the analysis of my data. So considering how much of a runner you are, I probably would have, like, just set, this, set my process running wouldn't care and then go for a run. So I'm just curious, how did you figure out the right balance of actually balancing out the running that you did, your passion for it, obviously, but also to go ahead and do the, like become the expert in data science that you are now? Like, I'm just, how'd you find a nice balance between those two worlds? That's the key. So let me explain to you in, in few images. You do have a lab where you, you want to leave your passion about the data and data science. You do have a home, you need to go to the lab. So. You just run, so you already have your first passion to go to the other one. So you see, it's, it's a very easy mixed up. <laughs> I feel like you're going to continually move your home farther and farther from the lab to increase the no amount of miles you have to do as part of your commute. Yeah, I guess. But uh, nowadays, uh, uh, like my, my, uh, the, the company I work on, so Feedbox.ai, is just actually like half a mile from, from my place. So uh, <laughs> I, I don't have like this strategy to, uh, to go for a run now. You have to run away from work to get to work. Exactly, exactly. You, you actually have to go for across the mountains, <laughs> right, through some vineyards before you come back. You, your route just has to be that much more complicated. That's all it has to be, man. So given your experience at Fieldbox AI and your passion for running, how exactly do you apply data science to running? It's a very good, uh, very good question. And uh, I'm sure like, people are also like, experiencing a lot of like, different use of their own data uh, using data science. So... Uh, on my side, what I do is that, so first of all, uh, I do love to know, you know, when I go for a running, for a running training or something like that. I, I mean, I like to know, you know, what happened during this training. And uh, so I obviously record everything. So I do have like a, a GPS watch, for example. I also have like heart rate monitoring that I do not use like all the time, but like for very specific training, like interval training, I do also record my, my heart rate. But anyway, uh, collecting all those data, all those personal data allows you like to quickly visualize uh, you know what you have done during the week during the months and uh, because I'm also passionate with like visualization and for example uh, d3js uh, I made several like little personal app and custom application to visualize this training like could be like a yearly training and compare it to, from a year to another or from a week to another uh, so that would be one way, you know, because data science, of course, there is a cleaning of the data and visualization of the data. It's, it's an important part uh, before actually applying the, the modeling and everything like that. So that could be a way you could, uh, you know, uh, apply data science to, uh, to your running uh, experiments, uh, <laughs> we could say. Uh, the other thing is that at one point I was really into trying to optimize my training based on like uh, science. 
Um, so I did a lot of, you know, of research about it and uh, I, I, I kind of like uh, wanted to try the Bannister model on, uh, on myself. So the Bannister model is a way of basically modeling through data science your, your fitness and your fatigue depending on the training that you do before. So it works basically on kind of an impulse impulse response kind of framework, meaning that each time you go for a training run, uh, you will get some fatigue, but uh, the, your, your physiology, your body will respond to that stress and will uh, kind of have a, a circumpensation mechanism that will make you better. So you always have like those two players into the game, the fitness and, you, and the fatigue. And so the Bannister model try to like uh, modelize that and uh, and you, you could use this model on your own personal data. So I was basically uh, running this model on my training data to basically know, okay, what should I do next week? Uh, should I go for a long run? Sh should I go for an interval training run and stuff like that? And so for like several months, I uh, actually drove my training using that model. And uh, and in the, in the end, it went, uh, it went, it went well. I uh, actually won uh, Angeles Quest 100 miles. So uh, it was a successful ex experiment. Obviously it just ended equal one but it's a it's a one that counts i wish i could start a sentence off with it was successful i ran 100 miles and i won i don't know if i'll ever be able to say that sentence guillaume um <laughs> exactly but how do you continue to find the motivation to run like when you're at mile 80 how do you dig deeper to continue to make it through to mile 100? Like, what are you thinking about for those very long runs? So it's actually a, a question a lot of people ask me. And uh, I always respond that, so for me running, obviously it's fun, you know? And uh, I always see like a long run as a way to discover like an area or, or discover the world. Um, so so for me, run, running is not really a problem, you know? I, I don't have like a losing motivation. I actually sometimes like when I go for very long run, I don't even use like music or anything like that because I'm just enjoying myself, you know, surrounded by, I don't know, trees and leaves and stuff like that. So, uh, I mean, it's hard for me to, to give you like a, a, a very simple answer. How do I do? I don't know, for me, I mean, I don't have the problem of not being motivated by it. Uh, obviously, sometimes, you know, you have a lot of pain, uh, like you feel it in your legs and you could be a bit, a bit down, but it's, it's always a very short period of time for me. So I don't have like a demotivation problem at all, uh, especially because I enjoy running outside and uh, discovering, you know, my, my, my surrounding is, is what drives me. So, okay. I want to switch us gives it back to a little on the data part, especially that, that visualization part. So I'm just curious, why did you like go ahead and, and thank you by the way, for teaching me up with the banister uh, model. I, I, I was looking it up. It's like, oh, this is really cool. But I'm just curious that why outside I, I, the geeky me agrees. Yes. I want to just build my own models and visualize it myself with D3JS. I, I actually grok you completely, but I'm just curious why do it yourself? Why not track it? Like, you know, using the available apps, is it because the models isn't good? Like, I'm just curious, like, what, what do you, it, it sounds to me like you're basically using the, the models is tracking like yourself an Excel spreadsheet or something like that. I'm just curious, like, what is your approach here? So, so you mean why do it like a custom DIY like solution instead of using, I mean, because it's always fun to understand how things are working behind, right? So obviously I could do like Strava directly and uh, they actually do have like the, the performance and fatigue curves inside, uh, inside the application. But then, you know, it's, it's, I mean, I find it personally always more like uh, motivating and fun to 
also do it by yourself so you can better understand the system as a whole. And nowadays it's like very also important in the data science world because as you know, uh, data science is only a small part of the full ecosystem. You need to be able, you know, to, to obviously build those models, but then also deploy it. Uh, so you need to, to understand how, you know, the cloud works, how do a deployment or a container, what is it, etc., etc. And it's only by playing with those tools yourself and trying to do it yourself from scratch and sometimes you know, it, it will be very difficult, but at the end, you will always like uh, get out with like a new knowledge, a new understanding of what you're doing. And that will help you to even like, like what you do even more. So, so that's, that's always been my approach. Uh, so that will be the response I give to you on, on that question. Oh, no, that's, that's a great approach. And I love it, actually, because now you're inspiring me. I, because I, I freely admit, I'm lazy. I am using Strava and things of that nature. But since since I do know the stuff and I, the Bannister formula actually looks really interesting, I'm like, yeah, you're right. Maybe I should just hack my hack my devices and start building the uh, building it out myself. So no, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> but then, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess then. So you mentioned like in terms of devices. Sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on the hardware side a little. Like you, you said, you have a heart monitor and you have the the the, the watch, right, to, to track these things. I take it the heart monitor is mainly because it, it, that's separate, mainly because of the imprecision of like those like wearables typically when it comes to our, our, our tracking your heart. I, I presume it's for that reason. Yeah. So yeah. So the I mean, I'm not using it a lot because. Uh, so I always like, you know, so as, as I said, um, so first of all, I'm not like a very fast runner. I know how to run long, but I'm not very, very fast. So for me, when I go for a long run, I don't like feel the need to necessarily like record my heart rate because I'm just going out like to enjoy my, my run or something like that. But then for the interval training, uh, that data becomes like very important to me because uh, for each like speed interval, you can then see like your your recovery rate kind of kind of a way of like when is my heart rate returning to baseline, which was rate, uh, etc. etc. And then you can see the curves and from a training to another, you can see if your training worked because maybe your recovery rate like recovery speed uh, increase and things like that. So I'm only like using this data for like very, very specific uh, workouts. Uh, necessarily not for, for like very long run. Uh, also, yes, so the, the heart rate that I have is uh, from the wrist. So it's not obviously like very, very accurate, less accurate than the one you can put on your chest. Uh, but for, for, for what I do, I guess it's, a, it's, it's enough. And so speaking of tools that you use, so you've mentioned heart rate, you mentioned the watch, you mentioned that you sometimes would track, uh, that you would analyze your runs using D3JS visualizations. What are some of the non-tech tools that you use when you go out on such long runs? Like, how do you ensure you have enough water for a 200-mile run? Like, what what do you carry with you? Uh, it's not quite hardware, but what kind of what other tools do you bring with you when you run? Yes, so I uh, I try to always have a, a flask, you know. So now nowadays, like, what's great is that with the de democratization of running, you do have a lot of like. Uh, materials that can help you for like long, very long handover. And especially uh, for like carrying water, uh, you don't have to carry like a very bulky bottle anymore. You have like just very soft flask uh, kind of like container. And so I always start with that. And then where do I refill? It depends. Uh, so if I go like in nature, I do have like little capsules to, you know, for bacteria. And so if I find a river, that's good. If I don't find a river, well, I'm in trouble. And it happened before, uh, you know, and sometimes, I mean, I remember a, a long run in the Santa Monica mountains where it was during the night and uh, I was doing uh, the backbone trail. 
And so on the map of this backbone trail, you actually see, uh, you know, toilets and you think, okay, there must be water over there. And so you, you, you plan your run like that. And then when you arrive at the, at the bathroom, well, it's closed and there is no water. So I had to go like, it was, it was midnight, past midnight. I had to actually knock on the door of someone because I was completely out of water. So, uh, so yes, carrying water is very important. Uh, that's the first thing. And then, uh, obviously, if you go for like six, seven hours, you need food too. So I sometimes have a belt uh, where I put like uh, energy bar in it. Uh, but apart that, you know, water and food, uh, that, that's practically all you need. A bit of sunscreen, of course, sometimes. And so when you're, obviously you can run all hours of the day. You're doing these tw 24 hours, multiple day races. Do you have a preferred hour of the day that you run? Uh, I mean, like at the sunrise, it's always like beautiful just because of the light and everything. So, and, uh, and also during like multi-day uh, events, uh, the sunrise is always when you feel like new and I mean new energy coming in because you know you you've passed like long hours in the dark and then you see the light uh, you see those color in the sky so so you get that uh, re-energization kind of uh, so I would say uh, yeah run sunrise is uh, my preferred time uh, of the of the day to run oh that that's so awesome actually I, I completely with you uh, while I'm certainly not even remotely the same level as you in terms of sports, and I'm, I'm not even going to bother with the pretense. I do agree with you. I love the mornings, especially um, in my case, I typically ride across the 520 Bridge in Seattle. So and with the sunrise across, off the mountains, especially Mount Rainier's out, oh, yeah, that, that's easily the best way to keep me going. It's just it's the nature itself is the what, what keeps me driving and motivated. So completely grok where you're coming from. Um, I'm just curious, but talking about motivations, which is not just related to you know how beautiful nature is, like what is one of the hardest running events you've actually taken part of? How do you keep motivated for those things? Yeah. So, so of course, so as I said, I was doing like I'm doing very long races. Uh, so some of the like hardest uh, hundred miles I've done, for example, could be Hertz 100 in Hawaii. So uh, the, the cool part of that race is that you are in nature, but you are in the Hawaiian nature, which means, you know, a lot of fruits, uh, a lot of obstacles. Uh, so th that, that was very hard because it was also a lot of elevation gain. I think that the full race is 28,000 uh, feet of climbing during the that's uh, during just 100 miles. So this one was hard, but uh, I went there three times. So I guess uh, it was still good. Uh, obviously, the, you know, the, the big backyard event, so the last man standing event, because it was long. And uh, when I came into this race, I didn't know. I mean, the hardest part was not physically, I guess. It was the mental part, because you're arriving to a race where you actually don't know when it will finish. So it's like, okay, uh, how do I prepare for that? Uh, what kind of, how much food do I need? There are a lot of unknown. And so you arrive at this race with a, a mental state, like, I don't know, it could last one hour, it could last more. So there is this unknown part that is very exciting too. So that was hard on the mental uh, like challenge, I would say. And also at the end, we were only two for like 36 hours uh, with my buddy Harvey Lewis. So, you know, it was kind of kind of a strange mental uh, perimeter. But so that was hard on that level. Oh, okay, I gotta I gotta roll back even. You you throw out so many things. I gotta I gotta go. Did you just initially say for the was it the Barclay one? You had twenty eight thousand feet of elevation. Yes, yeah, the Hurt one. The, yes, uh, the Hurt one hundred is twenty eight thousand feet of elevation uh, in the race. So yeah. Okay, so for everybody now, of course, I'm using a Seattle reference. For everybody to understand, that's two Mount Rainiers of elevation. 
Okay. <laughs> this, this man just didn't write. Okay. Wow. Uh, all right. Uh, but, but also, it means that at one point, you are at a very high point and you can, you know, see everything that is around. So that's really cool. I, I, I'm not... Yes, yes. Uh, I in a past life I was a former former mountain climber, which is why I referenced Mount Rainier. So I, I grok that, but still I'm like, okay, uh, are you sponsored for these things then? Because considering how how much you're doing, like it seems to be almost like you need a you need a like 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 a race car driver. You need a sponsorship flag because of like this is a, some pretty amazing stuff. I'm just curious, is, like, do you do those as well? So so I'm I have the chance to yeah to get to get sponsor for those uh, for those races. Uh, and mostly when you do those kind of like events, uh, you need shoes a lot of them because you you go through a lot of pairs, uh, obviously. So yeah, I had the chance of uh, like in the US of meeting uh, of being there I guess at the right moment. You know, uh, so at the, I met some some great runners, and they introduced me to the sport. And then uh, I got noticed by like the lo local revender of some brands, especially Salomon. And then after the 59-hour race, uh, they basically called me. They say, "Hey, do, do you want to join the, the team?" So it was funny because I was uh, I was a French in the in a US team, so uh, it was uh, it was very fun. So how often do you go through? pairs of running shoes uh so they, they, of course it depends of uh, i mean i try to be like respectful of the shoe too you know it's not because because you, you do have like free shoes that you want to just you know barely run with them and just throw them away so usually i mean i tend to only like switch shoe when like it's barely usable anymore uh, so i would say at the i mean i don't know three four years ago when i was running at, at my running peak uh, I could go like two pairs a month. So yeah, like uh, 20, 25 pairs a year. That's incredible. Did you get a chance to break them in? Oh yeah, yeah of course. Okay, so that's how you do it. Okay. And so Denny had mentioned a race I don't think you've had a chance to mention just yet, which is the Barkley Marathon. Could you share a bit more about what that race is and why it's such a gruesome race? Of course. Uh, yeah, so the Barkley might be the the most famous race that uh, I have run. Uh, I'm not a finisher, so it's it's a race that started like uh, tw more than 20 years ago, actually 30 years ago, and there have only been 15 finishers of the of the full race. And so this race is very historic because uh, basically the murderer of uh, uh, of one of your presidents uh, escaped from a prison. And 60 hours later, so it's a prison in Tennessee, you know, in the, in the wood. And uh, it's uh, surrounded by mountains too. So the guy tried to escape the prison and he did. And then 60 hours later, he was found uh, at only eight miles from this prison. And so there is a, a very famous guy now in Tennessee called uh, Lazarus Lake. Uh, his real name is Gary Kentrell, but he has, you know, like every movie star, he has a, he has a specific name. So we call him Lazarus Lake. He said, oh... What? I mean, I know those mountains. In 60 hours, I could have done 100 miles. You know, he was just laughing because this guy only ran uh, 8 miles. And so that's how the race uh, was born. He, he basically defined uh, a pass in those mountains, uh, which, which is 100 miles, and that you have to run in 60 hours. Except that uh, there is no trail. You know, basically, it's a race. You go uh, from book to book. So basically, to, to prove that you went on the real path of the race, uh, the guy hides books and 
it's, it's a loop race and every loop you do have a bib number and so each time you arrive at a book you tear up the page of your bib number and so you collect those pages in the woods uh, nights and day and every loop you give him like the pages to prove that you were that you have done the, the course and so this race is very difficult because there is no trail it's uh, off trail and so you have to go over like uh, fallen trees uh, you have to climb some little cliff and stuff like that plus you do have the navigation challenge too because it's not uh, it's not marked uh, so you have like your map and, uh, and a compass and so you have to find those books uh, in the forest. So it's a, it's a very cool event actually and uh, every year only like 40 people uh, have the right to, to, uh, to run it. Uh, and so also that's why the, the process for the registration is very mysterious. You do have to know when to send a letter to a specific address and uh, you have to know what to write on this letter. So, so it's kind of a, you know, very cool, uh, very cool challenge just to get into the race. And so once you into the race, it's a challenge to run the race. So I guess it's a challenging race. And is the reward at the end being able to say that you're a finisher? Are there any prizes if you finish? That's it. No, that's it. And so what happened is that each time there is a new finisher, uh, the race become, becomes harder because then it, it adds another part of it to it. Uh, the idea is to keep the race at the limits of human potential. So each time you're a finisher, you make the race harder. So then the next guy hates you for that. So no reward at this race. I love the fact that basically the entire premise of this race is how, how we can basically continue, continuously torture the next person trying to do the race. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, so look it up, the Barkley Marathon. It's uh, there are like uh, different documentaries that have been also uh, uh, done about it. It's uh, it's kind of interesting. Okay, but then how do you train for something like that and not get injured? Because first of all, you just mentioned the fact that it's unmarked. You might be climbing cliffs. Like, how do you like? Like seriously, I'm just like it. I'm, maybe it's just because I'm old, but I'm going like I feel like I I feel like just training for this thing would injure me let alone do actually doing it oh it does it does you know i mean uh so actually when, when once you are into the race uh you are allowed to join a specific uh, facebook group and on this facebook group there is also a waitlist a waitlister so you do have like 40 people entering the race and then you do have like 50 people in the waitlist and uh, the reality is that uh, because when you train for this race as you said uh, you might get injured uh, I mean, then that's why there is a waitlist. And every year, you know, 10, 15 people get injured training for it and, and, and are replaced by, by waitlister. So, yeah, it's a, it's a real, uh, you know, problem. But uh, then that's where you have to, to be smart. Maybe use a banister model to, you know, make sure your training is on point. Uh, so that, that's what, what you can do. But, yeah, it's, it's a, it, could be, it could be a problem. You could get injured. So, obviously, you, you don't want to do, uh, like, you want to do, like, smart things, um, preparing for this race, definitely. Danny, I think the moral of the story today is if we use data science, we can train smarter and avoid injury. That's the takeaway I have. Well, no, no, I, I, was, I was actually hoping that I could use data science to make myself that much better of a runner, but <laughs> but, but fair enough. I think, I, think, I think you actually hit the point better than I did. Okay, fair enough. And so, Guillaume, what does your normal training regimen look like? Do you do any form of cross training? Do you pretty much just stick to running? What does your schedule look like for training? So, so I'm very bad. I mean, you know, you, you can, you, you read everywhere and everybody will tell you it's very good to cross, to cross train. It's very good to, uh, you know, do some stretching and stuff like that. I'm very bad at it. 
so I just run. Uh, actually, I just do some abs and uh, and push-ups, but uh, that would be the most like cross training uh, that I've done. Um, but before, I mean, when I was at my peak, yeah, I was doing like a bit of biking, uh, a bit of climbing, uh, a bit of swimming too. So before, in, uh, when I was like younger, uh, I was doing triathlon. So I do have like uh, this experience too. But but nowadays I just run. Uh, so what a typical uh, week looks like. Um, so a few years ago, again, at, at my peak, I was like waking up around 4.30 to 5, go for like two hours or three hours uh, of running. And so I was seeing this uh, beautiful sunrise every morning, taking a picture uh, on LA, it was, it was beautiful. And then I was go I was going to the lab. Uh, nowadays, it's uh, my, my life is a bit uh, busier, I mean, uh, work-wise. So I, I usually go after work. Uh, we do have in Bordeaux, so it's very flat, and we do have like several bridges along the Garonne, which is a river in Bordeaux. And so there is this very famous run, which is called like uh, around the bridges. So you go from a bridge to another, and uh, it's, it's very beautiful. So I do that. I do that after work. So I try to run uh, four to five times a week, uh, basically. Uh, I allow myself like two days off, and uh, and during the weekend I try to you know, enjoy as much uh, like the, the free time that I have during the weekend to go for like a longer run. It could be in the Pyrenees, uh, so south, south of Bordeaux, or like, uh, you know, in the, in the little mountain uh, nearby. Definitely the, the volume, volume when you go for like those kind of races, uh, doing a lot of volume can, can help you. Obviously, you don't want to overdo it. But uh, yeah, uh, what, what's important is like consistency. So if you can run like four times a week instead of just one time a week, where you do the same distance, uh, that would be better to like speed it up a bit. Um, so that, that would be my uh, my advice. I, I feel there's almost like a data science ML model segue in all this. You keep on talking about running and then splitting it up, like partitioning your data, or you're basically doing model training. So you're training every day before you go to your production of the Pyrenees where you actually apply the training for your runs. I feel that there's an analogy that we're missing here somewhere in the process. Yeah, I mean, exactly. This is like a, like a good uh, good project. You have the build phase, then you do have like the run phase in production. I totally agree. I think you do have a point, Denis. So then we're going to segue back. How do you... How do you like? I mean, I, I know we asked this before, but still, it's just it's amazing the, the the level of effort that you have to do in order to be able to maintain this balance of like the work that you're doing and the running that you're doing. And so, I mean, again, I mean, there's that split that you're doing, but how do you how are you able to get that balance? I guess that's more or less the question I'm trying to ask. But because it's it's difficult, right, to be able to be top of your game in data science and top of your game uh, of your game and when it comes to running outside of the analogy <laughs> yours you know yeah no no definitely no more seriously yes it's very uh, challenging also because you also have like family commitments uh so i mean i have a very understanding girlfriend that's for sure uh you know she i mean she, she doesn't see me see me a lot during uh during the week because i do like longer hours at work and then i have to go for a run so she sees me even less so yes yeah, that, that's uh, that's part of the you know, that's part of how I can do that is that people around me are very supportive of, uh, of those different passions. Um, but I totally agree that it can be a challenge and I don't have like kids or anything like that, but I know that I have friends that are doing the same thing that I do. And they also have like more responsibility uh, towards their family because they do have kids. So they are like, I really don't know how they do it because I know what, what it involves. 
so this is point. Yeah, this is. I mean, the point you are uh, talking about is very key in uh, in doing those kind of stuff. You you need to be able to balance your work, your family, uh, and then your running. And so obviously you will have to make compromises. So uh, I mean, in, in some of those areas, because time is not. Uh, I mean, it's incompressible. So yeah, I mean, people will handle that differently. I'm I'm very lucky that uh, you know my my family is very supportive in that. Um, so that that's how I do it. It's basically thanks to to, to other people. I was just say that's a great analogy from the standpoint that you need you need a support team. You need a team of people for your data science team, like it, to support you for everything. So I I was just I'm I'm playing up the segways way too much. I, back to you, Brooke. No, I could add that also for the the running is those big events. You know, you do have a crew of people also helping you. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, this sport, it looks like a, a solo sport, but it's actually uh, really a team effort every time. So uh, I totally uh, follow, follow you on that. It's like a good data science team. You want to uh, go for the star and deploy the, some new Delta Lake somewhere on an on a arcane uh, cloud cluster. You need a team, you know, you need DevOps, you need data scientists, you need, uh, you know, software engineer. So totally agree on that. Exactly, exactly. It's all hands on deck for the go live. Once it's successful, that's when you take your PTO. That's when you take your week off from running. Correct. And so I know you've got a race tomorrow. Uh, can you share a bit more about what that race is? Uh, yes. So uh, actually two weeks ago, uh, a guy contacted me on, uh, on Messenger. Uh, didn't know that guy, but he was like, hey, uh, I heard you're doing uh, Barclay in a, in a few months. Uh, this year again, and uh, I'm actually organizing this little race in uh, in my garden. So the, the guy has uh, like different vineyards, and it's a 24-hour race. And he just asked me if I wanted to join. That's also what's very cool with like running uh, is that you know people are not afraid. Like you, you might be like a very good runner, people are not afraid to contact you. It's like a, a huge community. So that's uh, same like data science. You know, you, if you need help, if you need uh, more information about something, you can still reach out to someone and get and get an answer. So this guy contacts me. Uh, and I'm very glad he did because this race sounds very fun. It's a 24-hour race. It's basically the same uh, system than the last man standing race, except that even if you're the last one, you can continue running. The race just stops at 24 hours, uh, but it's a loop with some elevation in the vineyard around Bordeaux, and, uh, and it's going to be fun. It starts tomorrow at 11 a.m. Well, best of luck with that, Guillaume. And I love how you just gave the analogy of stack overflow to da of data science to uh, the huge community of runners. And so just to close out the session, one last question for you. What advice or tips do you have for people that want to get into either the field of data science or into the field of running? Yes. Uh, so for data science, I would say that uh, obviously, if you are like very new to the field, uh, you might want to like go to read some blog and follow some tutorial, but that would be very, very boring, I think, because it's always the same data set. And usually the data sets that you get are like already cleaned up. Uh, and in reality, in the real world, data sets are not very clean. So you need like, you know, to, to clean your data set, extract your feature, do, do like the full feature modeling, et cetera, et cetera. So it's better to start with like a little project of your own. Uh, for example, I don't know, nowadays we do have like data coming from everywhere in our house. Could be like the, the temperature, it could be the cycle of your like refrigerator or whatever. And you could say, okay, I want to uh, make a prediction 
of, I don't know, how I could like optimize my energy expenditure based on those little data. And so you start to collect those data. Uh, you open your computer, make a bit of Python, and then uh, you file up uh, scikit-learn, and here you go. So, you know, is the data science is more fun when you actually dealing with the data sets that you love, and you are like, uh, that can basically help you instead of like dealing with a data set from like airplane data or whatever, or something that is very outside of, of your life. So, uh, yeah, the tips for data science, uh, start with a little project that you care about and that matters to you. That's always, that's always uh, funnier. And then for running, uh, I would say go one step at a time. Running, if you want to go too long, too early, could be very, very painful. So just start by, you know, just around the block uh, run and don't do that every day. Maybe every third, every third day or something like that. And then if you want to go longer, use running not as a way like uh, to lose weight or, or for something that's... That, something like that, but use it as a way to discover the world, to discover around you or to meet people, you know, uh, make, make it a positive attitude and uh, it will also, you will also feel better uh, and more motivated to go, to go for your run. And I think one word that could link together both of the, the pieces of advice you gave, Guillaume, is find something that you're passionate about. So find a project you're passionate about, do some data analysis there. For running, find whatever it is that motivates you about running um, and really find your passion there. Totally agree on that. So I just want to say thank you so much, Guillaume. This was such a fun session. Always great catching up with you. And thanks again for joining us on Data Brew. Uh, thank you very much to you guys uh, for the invitation. It was very fun talking to you about those, uh, those passion. And uh, stay connected and stand data science -y.